The media push a red-blue narrative that makes no sense at all on coronavirus. President Trump's poll numbers nosedive as his Twitter habit continues to hurt him. And the culture wars continue apace. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Your online activity should not be public. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Ben. All righty. Well, I hope that you had yourself a mildly relaxed weekend. We're going to get to all the news. There's a lot happening out there from people defending their houses with guns to the president dropping in the polls and all of the culture wars and all of that. I want to start with obviously the big news of the day continues to be the spike that we are seeing in many states really across the country. I think virtually all states except for a couple have seen increases in cases in COVID-19. That, of course, is not a major shock. As you continue to release people back into public, you are going to see more cases. The question is, does it overwhelm the hospital systems? One of the big questions has been whether the lockdowns are actually that effective because we saw increasing levels of death in places like New York City even after the lockdown. Also, one of the things that we saw is that when people get alarmed, they go back in their house without you actually having to tell them to go back into their house. One of the things that seems to be happening right now is that in states that are very hot, where there's a lot of air conditioning being used, the rates are going up. And that's because people are going away from the public places where they were gathering, you know, outdoors, and they're going back inside and staying inside. So you're seeing upticks in places like California and Texas and Arizona. And the only common thread there is not a thread of policy. It is a thread that has more to do with the weather. If it gets really hot, you go inside, you're inside with a lot of other people, you're in close proximity with those people, and it's easier to get infected. Now, one of the, one of the things that we are seeing, and we, we really have not seen a major uptick in death, and that's been quite mysterious for a lot of folks. The death numbers over the weekend continued to be pretty low. I mean, meaning that the death numbers on Sunday across the nation were actually the lowest that they had been since March, which is pretty shocking considering that we're supposedly experiencing this massive spike in the number of deaths across the United States. One of the reasons for that is because the age of people who are being infected is now extremely low, like a lot lower than it was originally. Before, it was mainly older people being sent back into nursing homes, and basically it was killing everybody off in that first wave. As I've said before, maybe the only thing that you can do here is protect the nursing homes and wear masks and socially distance. And that's pretty much it. Those are all the things. There is not another thing that you can do to prevent this thing from spreading. And once you have gone outside and you've been with other people, well, then there's going to be a certain number of infections. But there, there's some good news here. I mean, if the number of infections is going up and the rate of death is going down, that means the overall infection fatality rate is a lot lower than originally was supposed. Again, the CDC now estimates that 0.26% of people who actually get this thing and are infected by it are going to die. So 26 out of every 10,000 people who get this thing are going to die, which, again, terrible number, but not the kind of number where you shut down all of society for it, perhaps. Right? That is certainly a question worth thinking about. So whatever, whatever the actual overall numbers on this thing, we'll get to more of that in a second. The media have decided they're going to make this an attack on red states, which is unbelievable. I mean, if you follow the media narrative over the past few months, the media narrative went something like this. President Trump didn't act hard enough. He didn't act well enough. He didn't act strong enough at the very beginning. And therefore, there was this vast uptick. If it had not been for President Trump poo-pooing this thing at the beginning or Fox News or Sean Hannity, then this never would have happened. And that was sheer crap. Nobody was calling for an actual shutdown anywhere in the country until the very beginning of March, by which point it was too late. The thing was already in circulation. New York didn't even shut down its state until late March. Right? After President Trump had already basically started urging people to shut down, which was like mid-March, like March 15th, March 16th, when you started to see national attention brought from places like San Francisco and L.A. to shut down. But even the shutdowns in L.A. and San Francisco are not preventing the spike that we are now seeing in L.A. County. Right? So the idea that Trump was responsible for this is very silly. Then you saw a narrative, and the narrative was 
everybody needs to stay inside. It was imperative that everybody stay inside. Lockdown, this thing was going to kill you. It was going to kill your grandmother. It was going to kill everybody. And then there was a gradual release. And that began at the very beginning of May. And for about a month, there was no uptick. For about a month, there was an uptick in the number of cases, but there was not only not an uptick in the number of deaths. Nationally, there was a downtick, meaning in most states, it basically stayed stable and New York, and New York really declined rapidly, right? That was the story of the death rate from COVID-19. But the idea was that those red states were bad, right? Ron DeSantis in Florida was very bad. Brian Kemp in Georgia was very bad. Greg Abbott in Texas was very bad. All of those places were very bad because they had not shut down, even though they weren't experiencing vast, overwhelming death. Then there were these big protests and the media suddenly swiveled and the media narrative turned again. So remember, it started with, this is all Trump's fault. You need to shut down forever. Then it turned to, well, you know, actually, if you go out and you're protesting for the right things, it's more important for you to protest in favor of overturning the American perception of itself and its own history. You need to go out and you need to protest the police. Go out and do it en masse. No problem. You're going to be immune. It's going to be fine. Right? Racism is more important public health threat than COVID-19. And so we saw literally hundreds of thousands of people across the United States out there protesting. Then the protests end, or at least they kind of fade off a little bit, and people start going out again because they're like, okay, hold up a second. You just said it's okay for me to be out. So you know what? I'm going to go out. All right. You know, you said it. We're, we're done. And people's activity starts to change. And you start to see an uptick. And now the media's rage is turning back on the same red governor as it was 60 days ago when it was like, oh, look at this bad Ron DeSantis and bad Brian Kemp and bad Greg Abbott. Look at these terrible, terrible red states with their reopenings. Like, okay, hold up a second. They reopened the beginning of May. Nothing happened for a month. And then there were a bunch of protests right, right around Memorial Day. And you notice in the media coverage, it's always Memorial Day is really what set this thing off. Memorial Day was May 25th. The protests began May 26th. There is literally no way statistically speaking, to tell the difference between an infection that was initiated May 25th and an infection initiated May 26th, and the media don't want to know about it. In New York, contact tracers have been told not to ask people whether they attended a protest. So the idea here is that it is only the reopening, but not the protest. Apparently, if you go to a bar really bad, if you go to an open air bar where you're just drinking and shouting about George Floyd, then fine, no problem whatsoever, right? Not a problem at all. And so we've seen as things have spiked, all of the blame of the media is going to go on the red states. And it's amazing. It's truly amazing because in the process of putting all the blame on the red states that have reopened, they're also trying to rehabilitate the worst governor in America, Andrew Cuomo, whose state has lost over 30,000 people. Now recognize that to this point, the state of Florida has lost between three and 4,000 people. The state of California has lost something like 4,000 people. The state of Texas has lost under 3,000 people last time I checked. New York got absolutely walloped, right? New York got killed. I mean, literally speaking, many New Yorkers got killed. And Andrew Cuomo is being trotted out there as a model of what a governor should do. Well, meanwhile, these red states are very bad. So CNN showed a, showed a chart. And this is just, it just show, goes to show you the political narrative of the media. Super dishonest. The CNN, over the weekend, they show a chart. And what the chart shows, for people who can't see, is they divvied up the seven-day moving average of new cases in Trump states and 2016 Clinton states. And what it shows is that the 2016 Clinton states, they had this massive spike. And then it sort, of, it sort of wavered off. And then it's increasing again mildly. Meanwhile, the, the red states, what you see is it increased fairly quickly, then it held steady for a long time. And now it's zooming up again, right? It's zooming up again, beginning, shock of shocks, like near the beginning of June, about a week and a half after the protests began. But we can't blame it on the protests. So it's probably the reopening. You see that long period on this chart. If you can see the chart, you see the long period on the chart between the beginning of May and the beginning of June where everything is perfectly stable. Well, apparently, no, right? Apparently, that doesn't exist anymore. So in any case, the idea is that red states are bad and blue states are good. Now, this chart is flawed in about 30 different ways. It's flawed, number one, because the original spike, 
does not really take into account the number of cases, like at all. Like if you're suggesting that back in March, like late March, there were only 30, like about 20,000 cases daily in places like New York, absolute sheer nonsense, sheer nonsense. So the testing was not up to par. In the blue states, overall, overall across the country, the testing was not up to par. So it's very difficult to tell how many positive tests there were in places like New York. Like if you believe that the blue states were only experiencing twice the number of positive tests as the red states in that period, then why was it that New York was hit with 30,000 dead? Right? It doesn't make any sense. The testing was just under par. So that's problem number one. But there's a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is if you're honest and you look at red by blue counties, right, not just states, because states are giant subdivisions of the country, but counties, because it turns out that a lot of red states include places like Dallas and Austin and Houston that tend to be a lot more liberal, right? If you look at county by county, blue counties versus red counties, what you see is they're identical. The county by county division, they basically, you see that same spike. And then you see the, the blue counties start to level off. The red counties are fairly low. And then they start to pick up right around the beginning of June. And now they're on exactly the same trajectory, like literally on the same line, on the same trajectory. So no, this is not a matter of red states versus blue states or evil red people versus, versus good blue people or anything like that. So the media are promulgating a narrative. The narrative is that red is very bad and blue is very good. Now, in order to do that, they also have to explain away Andrew Cuomo. So they've decided that they're basically going to now recapitulate the Andrew Cuomo is the best governor in America story, which is just, it's amazing. I mean, the utter gall of people to suggest that Andrew Cuomo is a good governor, it's incredible. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, it may be tough to come by sleep these days. I mean, life is incredibly stressful. The news cycle is incredibly stressful. Hell, you don't know when there's going to be something happening in your city that's violent, or if you, you don't know when there's going to be a, a panic attack from COVID, you just don't know what the hell is going on. That means it's very difficult to sleep these days. Plus, if you have kids, they're home all the time, and that is incredibly stressful as well. This is why when you get on your mattress, you must be comfortable. And the only way to ensure that you're comfortable on your mattress is to have a mattress made just for you. I'm talking, of course, about Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or a firm bed, with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine, and CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders for our listeners. Get up to 200 bucks off right now at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben, helixsleep.com slash Ben. Okay, so they have to do two things. One, blame the red governors, and two, somehow rehabilitate Andrew Cuomo. And so the media are full on board with the rehabilitation of Andrew Cuomo. And Andrew Cuomo, I mean, I'll give this to the man. The man has serious stones. I mean, to, to oversee a state where 30,000 people die and then sit around ripping on states where like 3,000 people have died with the same population, and by the way, places like Florida are disproportionately elderly. Obviously, big nursing home population in Florida, but they didn't see a vast killing of the elderly. For Andrew Cuomo to be, to be going around ripping on others is, is incredible. So here's Andrew Cuomo suggesting that Trump's decision to reopen the economy was wrong. Quick note, when Andrew Cuomo says things like this, recognize that the lockdowns in New York City may not, in fact, have been responsible for the actual decline of cases in New York City. It is possible that what happened is that it ran rampant through the population and knocked out everyone it was going to knock out. I mean, that, that is a real possibility in places like New York. Because what you're seeing right now is that New York is reopening. New York is starting to open. We've seen pictures of people who are hanging around outside of bars in New York, right? Big crowds in New York. And they're not seeing a significant uptick in the number of cases. Maybe that's because a lot of people have already had it. And so they are not now transmission vectors. We don't know the answer to that. 
So it may not be that Andrew Cuomo's policy was all that good. It may be that he basically achieved a, a certain low level of, of quasi-herd immunity by allowing this many people to get the thing. Okay, so anyway, here's Andrew Cuomo suggesting that it's Trump's decision to reopen the economy that's caused all of this, which is weird because he's not in charge of states, is he? Are you now thinking that maybe we might not see everything goes remote now in the fall, given we're living with this virus until there's a vaccine? Well, uh, first, on the first, uh, your first point, yes, I agree with that. Uh, you know, everybody talked about the uh, economic consequence and every, the president said we should reopen and that's going to help the economy. It turned out to be exactly wrong. But there's also a social uh, consequence. OK, well, he didn't turn out to be exactly wrong. We're actually seeing a shocking V-shaped recovery in the economy. As people go back out, it turns out the economy has been upticking at a rather rapid rate. But it's not just Andrew Cuomo who's now trying to rehabilitate. Mark Levine, who's just a disaster area. Mark Levine is, of course, the chair of the New York City Council Health Committee. Right? He is, he's also the same guy who claimed in the middle of this pandemic, first he told everybody to go out to Chinatown and party it up. Then Mark Levine claims na- and then Mark Levine claimed that the protests were going to be fine. The protests were totally cool. Now Mark Levine is claiming, and, and by the way, if you got it at the, at the protests, it's because of racism. Racism was the cause of the uptick in COVID. Now, he's just frankly lying. He says, on the single worst day in New York City, back in mid-April, we had under 8,000 new cases. Well, no, your testing was off by like an order of magnitude. You did not have only 8,000 positives in a day. If you had been testing properly, the number would have been a hell of a lot higher than that. The reason he's saying that is because Florida had 9,000 cases yesterday. Now, again, if you look at the Florida numbers, if you look at the state-by-state numbers in the United States, what you actually see is that Florida is basically stable in the number of deaths it's been experiencing on a day-by-day basis. I'm actually looking at the Florida statistics right this instant. And what you've seen, daily deaths per day in Florida, I'm going to read you since June 16th. 55, 25, 43, 40, 17, 12, 64, 45, 44, 37, 26, 27. Does that sound like an incredible massive uptick? Like vast scores of deaths? Like, again, maybe it will happen. It could seriously happen. I mean, you're seeing more cases. It means more hospitalizations. But this notion that New York City somehow handled this thing well and that Florida is handling this thing badly and that we are seeing, you know, vast numbers of deaths in Florida, not so far. Not so. Now, again, that could all change. It could be the health system gets overwhelmed. And it is important to recognize here that there is no way that a lot of people are not going to get this. The whole purpose of flattening the curve was not to change the area under the curve. I've explained this 1,000 times on the show. The whole... The whole point of flattening the curve was to prevent the overwhelming of the healthcare system. There has yet to be any serious evidence that Florida is being overwhelmed in terms of its healthcare system. In fact, Ron DeSantis did a, a presser yesterday in which Ron DeSantis explained at length that, New York, that, that Florida is not being overwhelmed. He says basically the number of people who are, who are getting hit here, it's mostly people who are young. You're mostly seeing this in people who are young. And by the way, before I get to DeSantis, you can see that this is the reality. Right. You can see in the chart of diagnosed cases versus deaths, you can see that there's this vast gap that has now emerged that shows that there's a huge, huge disparity between the number of diagnosed cases and deaths. Do we have that chart? It's a, a chart of diagnosed cases. There, uh, there we go. This is the seven day moving average of reported COVID-19 cases and deaths with the seven day lag. And what do you see? You see the lines completely diverging. Right. They were they were basically on point up until late April. Then the deaths started to drop rapidly. And the cases started to level off and then rise rapidly. Now, maybe that red line is going to turn around. Maybe you're going to see a big spike. But we haven't seen it quite yet. So the idea that New York handled this thing right and Florida handled this thing wrong, I'm waiting to see any evidence of that whatsoever 
at this point. By the way, the, again, I, it makes me crazy, but the idea that New York did this thing absolutely right is totally crazy. And here is a chart of New York's excess deaths in nursing homes. Suffice it to say, this does not look good for New York. Okay, this is the total weekly deaths from COVID-19, in particular metropolitan areas, above the normal, right? This is by, by percentage. This is the total COVID-19 deaths in entire metropolitan area in thousands. And what you see is excess deaths. Look at that spike in New York City metropolitan area, right? It's unbelievable. And then when you look at the actual percentage basis, what you see is that places like Cleveland or Detroit may have seen like three times as many people in nursing homes die as normal. But if you look at the actual, if you actually look at New York, it's like 35 times as many people died in nursing homes as normal. Okay, that is a giant fail by, by Andrew Cuomo and by the New York City government. But apparently, again, the bad guys here are the people in the red states. We're going to get to more on the, on just, I mean, a, a lot of this is just lying. It really is. It's, it's lying with statistics. We're going to get to more of that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that you might have a bunch of t-shirts at home and they're ratty and they're beat up and you think they look good and they really look like crap. Well, in 2016, Stephen Borelli was struggling to find the perfect t-shirt. He wanted something that had enough quality to be worn professionally at work, but also stylish enough for the night out. And no matter where he looked, nothing really fit the bill. So he took matters into his own hands. And the result was a product you could be proud to wear anytime I do. It's, it's really a fantastic product. Fit, fabric, function, the only shirt worth wearing. I'm talking, of course, about cuts. Okay, they're athletic, tailored-looking fit. It is perfect for work, a date, everything in between. It's pre-shrunk, wrinkle-free. It retains shape over time. Their custom-engineered Pika Pro Fabric can only be described as buttery soft. It really is incredibly, incredibly comfortable. Choose your collar, crew, v-neck, or henley. You can choose your cut, elongated, split hem, classic curve hem. You've got a great mix of long sleeve, short sleeve, collars, cuts, colors. They'll have you ready for any situation. Okay, th this is the only shirt worth wearing. Once you wear a cut shirt, it is impossible to choose a regular t-shirt. Again, also, it helps you stop spending so much time choosing exactly what you're going to wear in the morning. You throw on a cut shirt and some pants and you're done. Go get on with your day. This is why cuts is the only shirt worth wearing. It is a fantastic, fantastic, comfortable, good-looking shirt. It's loved by your favorite athletes, entrepreneurs, even people like moi. It seems everyone is wearing cuts and there is a reason for that. Get 15% off your first order by going cutsclothing.com slash Shapiro. That is cutsclothing.com slash Shapiro for 15% off the only shirt worth wearing. Cutsclothing.com slash Shapiro. Cutsclothing.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Okay, so again, as I say, the notion that, that New York handled this right and everybody else handled this wrong is totally crazy. It is also true that one of the reasons that you're seeing that gap emerge between number of cases and number of deaths is because a huge percentage of the people who are testing positive are now under the age of 35. And as we know, if you're under the age of 25, particularly, this is not a deadly disease. Okay, meaning it can kill you, but it's less deadly than the flu if you're under age 25 by statistics. So here's Mike Pence, the vice president, pointing out, guys, yeah, we're seeing a spike, but that's basically a bunch of young people socializing. There's another way, John, that this is different uh, from early on, and that is that uh, one of the things that we've heard uh, in Texas and Florida in particular uh, is that uh, nearly half of those who are testing positive are Americans under the age of 35. That's contributing to the fact that, that those that are requiring to be hospitalized who are testing positive for coronavirus is significantly lower than it was two months ago. Okay, so he is right about this. Ron DeSantis said the same thing. He said 20% of the tests are for, for those who are 25 to 50, 34 are positive. So basically a bunch of people are going to bars and they're getting it and they're young. And so we're not seeing a lot of those people hospitalized who was Governor DeSantis yesterday, who again is the bad guy here. Remember, he's the villain. Andrew Cuomo's the good guy in the media narrative here. He's the black hat, Ron DeSantis. 
You still see the numbers um, in those younger age groups uh, compared to the number of, of positive tests, very, very, very low uh, fatality rates. Um, and so you're seeing it in those groups who are less at risk, uh, but you're seeing them test positive at much higher rates. I think uh, 25 to 34 um, has been pretty close to 20 percent, and we're seeing it all across in the different areas of the state. This is the one kind of consistent thing. By the way, it's also happening in other states. So if you look at the share of new Minnesota COVID cases by age, you've seen a huge, enormous spike for people who are 20 to 29. I'm looking at a chart right now that shows those Minnesota COVID cases by age. You can see it has declined in every single demographic group except for people who are 20 to 29. And most importantly, it's declined for people who are 60 to 69 and 70 and above. The people at the very bottom of that chart are the people who are most likely to die from this thing. So it's really, really spiking among people who are 20 to 29. Notice that that spike begins right around the beginning of June, right around June 15th or so, which would have been exactly two weeks after the beginning of these protests. But the protests didn't do anything, apparently. So a lot of young people are getting this thing. Now, again, could that be dangerous? Yeah, sure, it could be dangerous. It could also be dangerous that in border counties, there are, there's, there's immigration across the border, something Phil Kirpin has pointed out. Phil Kirpin points out that if you look at the charts, in areas of, uh, with, with different border populations, the positivity rate in Mexico on these tests right now, the positivity rates in Mexico on, on COVID-19 tests is, is nearly 50%. It's like 48%, which means a lot of people in Mexico have it. He points out that cases per 100,000 residents, high population non-border counties like Maricopa County or LA County or Santa Clara County, they're not having tons of cases per 100,000 residents, but places like Yuma or Santa Cruz or Imperial are having a lot, a lot of cases. So there, there are a bunch of different factors, but the... Uh, until the system is in danger of being overwhelmed, this is not the same thing as it was before. The media basically been saying we are back to square one. All of the hard work was blown because of all these evil red governors who release people. And some things have changed. Again, the people who are getting infected by and large are people who are younger, which means that it is less dangerous. And you're basically getting the controlled avalanche strategy that I actually kind of talked about months ago, right? You're effectively getting the controlled avalanche strategy that says, if you are elderly, then avoid this thing. And if you're younger and you get it, then okay, all right. I mean, like, not great. Some people are going to be ill-affected by it, obviously. And there are going to be more people in hospitals and you are seeing increased hospitalizations. But the rate of people who are dying in hospitals is going down fairly dramatically as well. And this is true, by the way, across the world. I mean, this is a news story that has not been reported very much. But late last week, it was reported by the science editor at the UK Telegraph that according to an Oxford study, hospital patients are now four times less likely to die than they were in April because there are a bunch of different drugs that are being used that actually mitigate the impact and doctors are becoming better at treating patients. It used to be they were sticking everybody on a ventilator. It turns out that is one of the worst things that you can do. So hospitals are getting better at treating patients. More of the people who are getting this are young. Does this mean that you should go out willy-nilly without a mask? No, it doesn't. Because again, as you spread it, there are two risks. One, you pass it on to somebody who's older who can't handle it. And two, that you overwhelm the hospital system. But the notion that we are exactly back where we were and that we were back where we were because of red state policy is utterly crazy. And by the way, the red states are actually being pretty cautious about this. Right? Texas, last week, shut down all the bars again. Okay? Then California, two days later, shut down all the bars. And it was like, well, look at Gavin Newsom. He's responsible as opposed to that horrible Greg Abbott. It's like, well, no, that's not, no, that's not how any of this works. That's not how any of this works. It is also worth noting that when I suggest that this thing is less dangerous for people who are young, that is not just me saying this. It's the American Academy of Pediatrics. The American Academy of Pediatrics is openly saying at this point that all the schools should basically be reopened at this point. They put out a full statement suggesting that kids should be in schools 
They say school policies must be flexible and nimble in responding to new information. Administrators must be willing to refine approaches when specific policies are not working. But no child or adolescent should be excluded from school unless required in order to adhere to a local public health mandate or because of unique medical needs. They say we strongly advocate that all policy considerations for the coming school year should start with the goal of having students physically present in school. That's the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's not radical right-wingers who are making that particular claim. So concerned but not Concerned but not crazy would be the answer here. Concerned but not out of your mind with worry would be would be the answer here. Cautiously, maybe even at this point, if you're talking about that, again, disparity between deaths and hospitalizations, maybe cautiously optimistic that this thing is starting to peter out a little bit. That doesn't mean be irresponsible. It means wear a mask and socially distance. We've seen this, again, radical increase in the number of cases. But notice how the media have decided they're going to talk about COVID-19 cases and they're not going to talk about deaths anymore. Right? They're only going to talk about cases and they're not going to talk about deaths, right? Ron DeSantis has said that Florida has flattened the curve with respect to maintaining healthcare capacity. He says the testing capacity and PPE are in fine shape. He says treatments are improving too and in good supply. He says way fewer people now need medical ventilation than in March or April. He says that it's probably people who are going indoors that are, that are really spreading this thing. He says family units are largely testing positive as a group, right? People are going out to a bar, they're getting it, and then they are going home and they are basically getting, and they're basically getting everybody sick. He said that certain hospital systems, Ron DeSantis, are picking up asymptomatic COVID cases because a lot of electives are coming back in, right? Elective surgeries are coming back in and they're picking up asymptomatic COVID cases when they do like basic blood tests for them. He said most, for most people in younger demos, the symptoms are like the common cold. So he, he, you know, this, is this something that we should be like over the moon crazy about? No, is it something we should be concerned about? Sure. You know who's not really concerned about this? The media. There's a massive, massive LGBT rally in Chicago yesterday, like crazy large with, I'm telling you, tens of thousands of people in the street on top of each other. The media had nothing to say about COVID. Nothing, nothing. Right? If you go back to work, a problem. If you go to a restaurant and sit outdoors, a problem. If you're outdoors and you're, this isn't even Black Lives Matter, right? This is just like an LGBT pride parade in Chicago. It's like an LGBT rally in Chicago, deeply vital to, to the moment because it's pride month, right? Not a word of condemnation for any of this, obviously. Really, really solid stuff. Okay, we're going to get to our political situation in just one second. And then we're going to get to the ongoing culture war that continues to rage out of control. First, let us talk about life insurance. So here's the reality. These days, a lot of people wondering about life insurance. The fact is you still can get life insurance. You can. This is why you need to go check out Policy Genius right now. It does not have to be a difficult or time-consuming process. You can just go get life insurance. You can do it quickly. You can do it easily. You can get it competitively priced. Policy Genius has introduced another winning combination, exclusive life insurance policy with affordable rates and a hassle-free application. Life insurance is great, okay? It is very vital. If you, are, if you are a responsible human being, you want to take care of your family, you really don't have a choice but to go get some life insurance. Policy Genius will compare quotes from the top life insurance companies all in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from those top insurers and find your best price. You could save like 1500 bucks a year, which is an awful lot of money. And this new, this exclusive new policy that they have promoted over a policy genius, it makes things even easier. Now, qualified applicants can complete their medical requirements over the phone, which really saves you a ton of time. So if you need life insurance, but you don't know where to start, go get started right now at policygenius.com. In minutes, you'll be able to compare quotes, find the right coverage and apply. You get the right life insurance coverage and the best shopping experience. It is a winning combination. Policy genius. It's nice to get it right. Okay. Meanwhile, in the political sphere, all the news is bad for President Trump. I mean, it is unfortunate fact of life. Apparently, there are news reports that President Trump is starting to feel the pressure. Well, yes, it's beyond time to feel the pressure. Everybody around Trump, 
even his friends have been telling him, dude, you need to whip it into shape. I mean, this is not, your, your poll numbers are no good. They are no good. And when Tucker Carlson is going on national TV and saying, Mr. President, get this together, or you're going to lose. It's pretty obvious exactly what is going on here. And in order for people to understand just how bad the situation is for President Trump, you have to understand that not only is he losing by nearly double digits in the real clear politics polling average, but if you look at the electoral map right now, if there were no toss-ups, right, if you just took the real clear politics poll average in every state, Trump would lose the Electoral College 353 to 185. He gets shellacked like McCain by Obama in 2008 as, a, as an incumbent president, which is nearly unheard of, right? Certainly the first time since George H.W. Bush to, for an incumbent president to lose, but at least H.W. Bush had the excuse of Ross Perot. Okay, let's go through the state by state in the real core politics polling average. Okay, Biden is now leading by four in Arizona, by eight in Wisconsin, by seven in Florida, by nine in Michigan, by six in Pennsylvania, by 2.4 in North Carolina, by 16 in Minnesota, which the Trump team was trying to flip blue. Trump is only leading by two in Texas, by four in Georgia. He's statistically tied in Ohio. He's only up by 1.5 in Iowa. And, he, and Biden is up by four in Nevada. Those are really, really unpleasant numbers for President Trump which means you would think that he really needs to step up his game because no matter whether you want him elected or you don't want him elected, a simple fact of the matter is that the, the president's current performance is not going to win him re-election. It's not. If things keep going this way, he's going to lose. Okay, and that, that's not, that is not an out-of-the-box anti-Trump thing. Again, I plan on voting for the guy, but if he doesn't pull this thing out, he, he's in a tailspin right now and something needs to change. It needs to change radically. You know it won't change it? The Twitter habit. Now, I don't like talking about Trump's tweets because I find it boring. I think that President Trump simply sits there and when he's bored, he tweets. I think it really is that simple. I think like everybody else on Twitter, that's what he does. When I'm bored, I tweet. When President Trump is bored, he tweets. Twitter is a place for bored people. The problem is that when you have a window directly into the brain of the commander in chief, I mean, if Barack Obama had been, you know, every thought that floated across his mind had been tweeted out, he would have been a lot more unpopular. People don't want every aspect of a politician's mind in front of them. It's what they don't want. In the same way that people don't like celebrities because they don't want to know what your favorite actor has to say about a particular topic because he's an actor. And this is why back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, the studios used to keep their stars really under wraps. They were sort of the public face of the star. And then everything that went on behind closed doors went on behind closed doors. When it comes to politicians, the public generally wants that to be true as well. Like we are, listen, we're all gossip mongers and we all like salacious details. But the country, I think, was a lot better off when people were, were, let's say, less concerned with the sex lives of our president than when they were deeply concerned. Like JFK was a monster in private, and he's still widely considered a good president by the left particularly, simply because all of that stuff was basically buried by the media voluntarily. I'm not saying we should bury this stuff voluntarily. I'm saying be dull enough, there's nothing to cover, right? Or at the very least, don't spill your guts out into public on a regular basis. So this reared its ugly head yesterday again when President Trump decided to retweet a video. And this made national news because, again, it... it is reflective of a narrative that the left would like to push, which is that President Trump is a white supremacist. Now, I think what actually happened here is the same thing that happens to a lot of people on Twitter. When you are bored, you just start retweeting things. And when you retweet things, you don't always watch the video all the way to the end. And President Trump, as we know, has the attention span of a gnat. Right? The, the, the president of the United States, is. I mean, he literally will not read presidential briefings that are put on his desk. They have to put them in bullet point form, and then he doesn't even read those. He'll ask for those to be shortened. Okay, The man is not famous for sitting there and reading tomes of, of Winston Churchill. Right? So when it comes to watching videos online, my guess is he saw a person driving past with a Trump sign, and then he just retweeted it. Right? That, that is the most like a, likely explanation. Does anyone really think that President Trump, even, even the people who think that, wow, he's a, he's a racist dummy and all that, even those people, do you think that he really would intentionally retweet a video 
in which somebody is shouting white power, which is what happens in this video? Like, are there a lot of people who think that that would be like, like just out of simple self-preservation, if he had actually known what was in the video, you think he would have tweeted it? Or is it more likely that like everybody else, the sound was off on his computer. He sees a person yelling with a Trump 2020 sticker on the front of the golf cart. Trump loves everybody who loves him. And this is a simple fact of the matter. And so he retweets the thing. Anyway, here's the video Trump retweeted and then had to take down. Where's your wife, Okay, it's a bunch of old people yelling at each other. And then it's just a, a guy in a Trump in a Trump golf cart shouting white power over at the villages. And then President Trump didn't just retweet this. He was like, thank you to everybody over at the villages. Okay, because there are a bunch of old, uh, these old, they're like elderly women holding signs say Trump is a racist and a bunch of golf carts going by in a Trump processional with little American flags on the back. Really very, very weird, weird stuff. And there's a bunch of seniors yelling at each other. It's my grandfather and grandmother. See, good times over there, except my grandfather and grandmother aren't, aren't racist. And, and so you have the one guy shouting white power and President Trump retweets that, okay? Then he has to take it down. And this leads to, it's another tweet that launches a thousand chips. It again, removes his ability also to do things like attack Joe Biden on policy. So when he says things like, he, he's gonna launch the same attacks on Joe Biden that Kamala Harris said. He's gonna say, you hung out with segregationist senators and I'm old enough to remember when you supported the 94 crime bill. And Biden's just gonna look at him if he still has enough brain cells to rub together. And he's just gonna say, right, and you retweet videos from white supremacists shouting white power, right? It's, it's just a mistake. It is a, it is a useless blunder. By the way, most Republicans are not super happy with the tweeting. I think most people at this point, they understand that this is not likely to win him friends and influence people. And I, I got to say, it feels like President Trump is off his game these days. It does. It feels like he is not on his game. He hasn't been on his game. So something has gotten under his skin to the point where he is seriously off his game. And when he is bothered, he tends to revert to a sort of narcissistic egoism that does not serve him well electorally. So he was on with Sean Hannity and Hannity asked him a simple question. What are you going to do in your second term? And his answer is so self-centered and rambling that, again, this is not helpful to him. The word experience is a very important word. It's in a very important meaning. I never did this before. I never slept over in Washington. I was in Washington, I think, 17 times. All of a sudden, I'm president of the United States. You know the story. I'm riding down Pennsylvania Avenue with our first lady, and I say, this is great. But I didn't know very many people in Washington. It wasn't my thing. I was from Manhattan, from New York. Now I know everybody. And I have great people in the administration. You make some mistakes, like, you know, an idiot like Bolton, all he wanted to do is drop bombs on everybody. You don't have to drop bombs on everybody. Okay, you, you, there's so much wrong with this answer. First of all, you hired Bolton. Second of all, you then killed Soleimani along with, at Bolton's behest. Also, just generally speaking, the question was, what are you going to do in your second term? Why do you need a second term? <laughs> Did that answer have anything to do with the question, like, at all? Like, that's, that's such a softball, too, right? I mean, that, that is... The number one question every president gets asked is like, what do you plan for the second term? And the answer isn't that Bolton needs dropping bombs on everybody. Like, again, this is not coming from a place of I want Trump to lose. It's coming from a place of he's going to unless he changes something. Something has to change right the hell now. It cannot continue this way. The poll numbers are not going to support it. He is not. And don't give me they're all fake polls. Not in every state, they're fake polls. Now, when he's losing not just one swing state, but every swing state, there's not a single swing state he is currently leading in. Not one. He is losing right now or a competitive in places where he should not be competitive. If we enter election day and Trump is only winning Texas by one point, he's going to get walloped. He's going to get swamped. Okay, Republicans need to win Texas by six to 10 points if they hope to win the presidency. 
Republicans need to win Ohio by a significant number of points. They cannot be in statistical ties. And when you act like this, it is not helping you in any way. And again, there's so much for him to campaign on, right? The, rec the economy is recovering. The economy is coming back. It's coming back at an extraordinarily rapid rate. Why not champion that? Well, I, I still don't understand why the Trump administration has not cut an ad that simply is just video over and over and over again of Democratic governors saying they gave us what we need with COVID-19 because those videos are out there. We played them on the show. I don't get it. I don't understand why the president of the United States is not promoting the fact and solely promoting the fact that Joe Biden has nothing to say about the destruction of American history, that he's been hiding in the basement saying nothing about the destruction of American history. Now, hopefully he will say something. I think he's supposed to do a July 4th address from Mount Rushmore, and hopefully he'll say something there. I won't say that he's completely ignored that issue. He hasn't. But when the country is going up in flames and it looks like the president can't do anything about it, that's not a good look. Okay, this is the lowest point of Trump's presidency. Right now, what we are watching is the lowest point of Trump's presidency. He needs to pick it up and he needs to pick it up fast. Part of that would be fighting back against, there's a story that's out today that really is devastating. Again, more to the, the strong the strong mentality that, that Trump was supposed to exhibit in the presidency on foreign policy. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that these days, you need to know your numbers. You just do, right? The, and, and if you want to know your numbers, if you want to make sure that you are on top of all of your numbers, the best way to do that is NetSuite by Oracle. It's the world's number one cloud business system. Finance, HR, inventory, e-commerce, everything you need all in one place. So you save time, money, and headaches. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite gives you visibility and control so you can manage every penny with precision. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to go faster with confidence. NetSuite surveyed hundreds of business leaders, assembled a playbook of the top strategies they are using as America reopens for business. If you're a business owner, you have an obligation to be on top of every aspect of how your business works. If you've got a bunch of non-integrated systems, it's very difficult to do that. Go check out NetSuite right now. Receive your free guide, seven actions businesses need to take right now. Schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash Shapiro. Again, that's netsuite.com slash Shapiro, netsuite.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Be on top of your business. You cannot afford to lose your ability to do business with something as simple as a data switch that can really help you out. Switch over your software systems right now, netsuite.com slash Shapiro. That is netsuite.com slash Shapiro for the free guide and the free product tour. Okay, we're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, but if you're not already a Daily Wire member, you should consider getting a Reader's Pass. You should. There's a lot of fun stuff happening over at dailywire.com. It's a great value for only three bucks a month. When you sign up, you get that first month for only 99 cents. You also get access to our mobile app articles ad-free and access to exclusive editorials like this one. Mike Rowe's takedown of cancel culture, Outrage Mobs, has gotten even better with age. So if you haven't checked out the Reader's Pass already, go to dailywire.com and sign up for just a buck. Our coverage there is fantastic. Also, I have a brand new book coming out. I've told you about it, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It's never been more relevant. That's all I'm going to say. You should go pre-order it right now at dailywire.com slash Ben. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. If there's a feeling among Trump voters that law and order is not prevailing at home and also that we're not being strong abroad, that's about the worst combo for the president. And right now, that's sort of what a lot of people are feeling like. And something needs to change and change very quickly. There's a story out of the Wall Street Journal that a Russian spy unit actually paid members of the Taliban to conduct lethal attacks on U.S. troops in that country. According to a classified American intelligence assessment, the assessment of the role played by the GRU, which is the newfangled KGB, in fostering attacks on American soldiers comes as President Trump is pushing the Pentagon to withdraw a significant portion of U.S. forces from Afghanistan and as U.S. diplomats try to forge a peace accord involving the Taliban and the U.S.-backed Afghan government. The intelligence assessment regarding Russia's actions in Afghanistan was delivered to the White House earlier this spring. 
until recently had been known only to a handful of officials, a person familiar with it said. Its contents were reported earlier Friday by the New York Times. It couldn't be determined whether Russian bounties paid to Taliban fighters did result in any American combat deaths, although follow-on reports suggest the answer is yes. The White House, without confirming the existence of the intelligence assessment, said President Trump has never been briefed on Russian bounty payments, responding to Democratic and Republican critics who charged that Trump knew of the activity and should have halted it. So obviously, it would be horrible, horrible for the administration and for the American people if the White House knew that the Russians were paying the Taliban to kill American soldiers and the White House was not doing anything to Russia about it and simultaneously negotiating with the Taliban over it. Right? That would be a disastrous issue for the, for the Trump administration. It's not surprising that Russia was doing this. Russia has obviously been attacking American forces directly in places like Syria. Right? That, that, that is not particularly a shock. But it is a problem for the president if it appears that he was that, that, that the White House knew that Russia was doing this and said nothing and did not hold Russia to account. This, of course, allowed Joe Biden the ability to go after President Trump and suggest and, and slam President Trump, suggesting that the White House shouldn't ignore this sort of behavior. Now, worth noting, good information that the Russians have been doing this in places like Iraq with the Iranian forces and in places like Syria for a long time, even under Obama. So this is Joe Biden being dishonest. But again, it's a line of attack against Trump. It's truly shocking revelation that if the Times report is true, I emphasize again, is that President Trump, the commander in chief of American troops serving in a dangerous theater of war, has known about this for months, according to the Times, and done worse than nothing. Not only has he failed to sanction or impose any kind of consequences on Russia for this egregious violation of international law, Donald Trump has continued his embarrassing campaign of deference and debasing himself before Vladimir Putin. Now, again, Biden is wildly dishonest here because Obama literally offered flexibility to the Russian government in the run-up to the 2012 election if they would lay off before the election. So let's be perfectly clear about this. The Obama administration was so soft on Russia. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Mitt Romney was running for president, said Russia was our number one geopolitical threat. And Barack Obama, in open debate, said the 1980s calls and wants its, its foreign policy back. So I'm not going to hear this crap from Joe Biden. But is that a good look for the president? No, it's not a particularly good look for the president. You combine th this sort of stuff with the, with the overall feeling of just chaos in the country right now. And that's never going to redound to the benefit of an incumbent president. And there's a story that's getting a lot of attention out of St. Louis, Missouri. According to KMOV4, hundreds of protesters chanted and marched to St. Louis Mayor Lita Krusen's home Sunday night calling for her resignation. A group of 300 protesters chanting, resign, Lita, take the cops with you, marched after Krusen read the names and addresses of demonstrators calling for police reform during a Friday afternoon Facebook Live video. Now, she has been doing that consistently in these videos, she wasn't singling out, my understanding is, only these people. Apparently, for the last three or four weeks, public records require that you are supposed to submit your name and your address, and she's been reading those out loud for weeks. But only these ones were the ones that caused an issue. In any case, a group of 300 protesters broke into a gated community. I mean, that's literally labeled private property. And then they broke into the gated community. They walked past these big palatial estates, and they walked over to the mayor's house, and they painted something on the ground. But the thing that's creating all sorts of news is the fact that there was a husband and wife who came walking out of their house and they saw this big crowd coming into their private gated neighborhood. They walked out of their house and they were holding guns. Now, quick point. Okay, if a bunch of people had broken into my, my property and were walking across my front porch and this group of people had been 
threatening to get rid of the police, like wanting to get rid of the police. And protests had very often degraded into violent activity in the past several weeks. I don't know if these people are protesters. I don't know if they're right. I don't know anything. All I know is that they've walked into my neighborhood by breaking into private property. They've broken through a private gate in order to get there. They've walked directly. They've trespassed. Then I, I'm wondering exactly what, unless they're using the guns irresponsibly, meaning they're pointing them, right? They shouldn't be pointing them at people. But if they're just out there saying like, if you come on my property, I will shoot you. In St. Louis, my understanding is that that's legal. And more than that, all the people who are very angry at this couple for even having guns, and I'm just, I'm, these people are literally chanting defund the police while trespassing. I'm wondering what exactly you expect private citizens to do. And, and generally, I'm, I'm wondering what you expect private citizens to do. You're going to see more of this. As the police are withdrawn, more and more Americans who are law-abiding are going to be put in a situation where it's like, do I let my house get ransacked or am I supposed to get my gun? Like, what, literally, what do I do? I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. And we've seen this in the United States over the past few weeks. We've seen shop owners who are having to defend their stores with guns. Right? This is not good stuff. You remove the cops, and this is the sort of, sort of stuff that happens. And that's not to say this couple is acting well with the guns. I mean, look in the video. It doesn't look like they're uh, supremely familiar with the handling of the firearms that they're holding, right? I mean, they're sort of pointing them all over and all of that. But the notion that they shouldn't have the guns at all or that they shouldn't be scared, like why are they scared of people who just broke into their community and are marching past and they have no idea who they are? I I'm not going to get on board with that. I'm not. Like, I, that, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. These people literally walked into a private gated community where it says on it, private property, and they just walked right in. Do I, am, am I supposed to believe that they have some sort of root belief in the sanctity of private property? Because I'm not seeing the, the rationale for that. Now, meanwhile, I will say that the media are, are doing an incredible job of paying attention where they can pay attention to Republicans doing stuff that is at best insensitive. And they're ignoring stuff where Republicans are doing stuff they actually kind of like. So take an example. There is a, there is a story today that Mississippi is about to lose the, the rebel flag from the, from the state flag. So the state flag of Mississippi has the Confederate battle flag upon it. And the Confederate battle flag is, you know, has been there for, I believe, 124 years, something like that. It was put in 1894 uh, or 1896, something, something to that effect. So the Mississippi state legislature has now come out and they've pointed out uh, and they've gotten rid of this. They've, they've decided they voted in favor of getting rid of the Confederate symbol that is on the state flag. And I think that's probably not a bad thing, right? I mean, I think that's probably a, a good thing. I mean, the idea that the, the Confederate symbol should be a part of the flag of a state of the United States and was placed there, you know, only 30 years after the Civil War, it's a weird thing. Like, at the very best, it's a weird thing. And at the very most, it's, it's a race-based thing, obviously. It's a very, very race-based thing. And I can see why if you're a black American living in Mississippi and you look at the Confederate battle flag on the state flag, you go, well, that's uncomfortable. That was the flag that flew over the army of the people who were, who were enslaving my, my father or grandfather. Right? That's, that's not something I'm cool with. I get that. I get that. So you know who else got that? The Mississippi State Legislature. And I'm going to read you from this NBC story. See if you can spot what they've changed the story now. But see if you can spot what was missing in the original story. Quote, Mississippi lawmakers voted Sunday to remove the Confederate battle emblem from the state flag a symbol that has flown for more than 120 years. The State House and Senate approved the suspension of the rule Saturday, allowing for debate and a vote on the bill. It passed the House on Sunday by a vote of 91 to 23, quickly followed by a 37 to 14 Senate vote. Speaking before the vote, State Senator Derek Simmons urged his colleagues to vote for the Mississippi of tomorrow. He said, in the name of history, I stand for my two sons who are one and six years old, who should be educated in schools and be able to frequent businesses and express their black voices in public places that all fly a symbol of love, not hate. Before the vote, an amendment that would have given voters the opportunity to keep the flag or select a new design failed. 
So this thing passed last night. And the governor said, if it's sent to me, then I will, I will sign it. He says, the argument over the 1894 flag has become as divisive as the flag itself. It's time to end it. If they send me a bill this weekend, I will sign it. It's the original story. The story now contains some party signifiers. But it would be kind of important to note at this point that the Mississippi legislature that voted to get rid of the Confederate battle flag that is on, on the state flag, that that legislature breaks down extraordinarily heavily in favor of Republicans. The Mississippi House is 74-45 Republican. The Senate is 36-16 Republican. The governor was a Republican. I searched the story twice. I had to read it twice just to make sure. The original story, which has now been changed, the original story did not include any reference to party. None. It did not say Democratic. It did not say Republican. The assumption is that it's generic legislators. Now, if that had been a Democratic state getting rid of it, don't you think that would have led the story? Democrats in state get rid of. Wouldn't that be the story? When you have an overwhelmingly Republican state that gets rid of the Confederate battle flag, that sort of implies that most people in that state and most of the legislatures are not racist. It sort of implies the Republican Party is trying to do its best to mitigate the effects of past racism. But the media will do its best to obscure that. Only later will they go in and self-edit the story. Meanwhile, Orange County Democrats want John Wayne removed from the Orange County airport because he made, quote unquote, racist comments back in the 1970s. Because he, he said in 1971, there was a 1971 Playboy interview in which he said, quote, I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to the point of responsibility. I don't believe in giving authority and positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. He said, although he didn't condone slavery, I don't feel guilty about the fact that five or 10 generations ago, these people were slaves. And he says, I don't feel we did wrong about Native Americans in taking this great country away from them. Our so-called stealing of this country from them was just a matter of survival. There were great numbers of people who needed new land and the Indians were selfishly trying to keep it for themselves. Okay, not great stuff, right? Not obviously not great stuff from John Wayne. Circa 1971, circa 1970. I mean, what are we going to do? Exhume him and like burn him in effigy? By the way, the reason that John Wayne is on the Orange County Airport is not because of John Wayne's personal political views. The reason he's on the Orange County Airport is because, let's be frank about this, not tons of stuff is going on in Orange County. I'm from LA, okay? Not tons of stuff is going on in Orange County. John Wayne lived in Orange County and John Wayne is an iconic symbol in American film. Okay, you literally cannot have, there is not a single film star you could ever build a statue to or name a thing for who would be okay at this point. Like Bob Hope was the airport in Burbank, right? They changed it to the Burbank airport. It was the Bob Hope airport. I am sure you could dig up stuff that Bob Hope said that was politically incorrect and or wrong. I'm sure you could. But there are no limiting principles to this cultural revolution. Woodrow Wilson is going to be removed from the Princeton campus. They're going to do that because he was a vicious racist. I mean, Woodrow Wilson was in fact a vicious racist who who attempted to foster segregation and who was in who showed birth of a nation at the White House. I mean, really a terrible, terrible person. But let's be frank about this again. He was a Democratic president. And the notion that you are just going to get rid of all some, like he wasn't a Confederate. He was just a bad, bad man who was president. So are we? Just, so I guess all of the names have to go, all of the names, except for the names on the back of the NBA jerseys. NBA players are now going to be allowed to put social justice statements on the back of their jerseys, per the report. I, I assume that we will see no social justice statements on the back of jerseys condemning the Chinese government for its forcible imprisonment of a million Uyghurs and the forcible sterilization of tens of millions of women over the past 40 years. I really don't think we're going to see a lot about human rights on that. Just, just, just a guess, just a guess. But if you, by, by the way, if the NBA thinks that this is going to add to its appeal to have people wearing on the back of their jerseys, political statements. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Really making, making the world more annoying one step at a time. Players can speak out however they want, but the idea that you're watching a baseball game and suddenly you see on the back of somebody's shirt, I voted Dole. Like what, what, what in the world? Like, 
How about this? How about go to the New York Yankees style where nobody even has their name on the back of the jersey? Solid, solid stuff happening here. All righty. Well, we will be back here later today with two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I have an All Access Live, by the way. So you should go subscribe tonight if you want to be part of the All Access Live. I answer your questions. I sing funny songs. I do funny dances. I wear funny hats. It's, it's very bizarre, but people seem to like it. Go check us out right now over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Otherwise, we'll see you here later. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey, everyone. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Trump is in a slump and he needs to turn it around, but he can't do it alone. The right is part of the problem and the right needs to find the guts to stand up to a rampaging left. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.